Well, this morning I want us to conclude our uh, series on the doctrine of prayer. Uh, yeah, and I left my suit coat at home. I know, I know. In case, uh, somebody's going to say something, I know. But anyway, uh, we got halfway here and I went, oh. so I almost feel naked. I look naked up here. Okay, anyway. Uh, but anyway, we want to we wanna continue with, the, with a series on, on prayer. And the doctrine of prayer is probably the second most requested doctrine for an explanation. The only doctrine that more questions arise concerning is the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's probably more confusion with the doctrine of prayer than any other doctrine, except for maybe the doctrine of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about those two doctrinal truths is they both can be explained satisfactorily when you rightly divide the word of truth. When you approach the scripture and you rightly divide the truth, the word of truth, where you clear up those questions, when you make sure that the kingdom program is placed in its rightful setting and the church, the body of Christ, is placed in its rightful setting, when the signs and the wonders that are related to the earthly kingdom that's to be established and the blessings that are to come to Israel. Uh, we've discussed all of this so many times, but it's, in, it's, it's incredibly important that we understand those kingdom truths, those earthly blessings that were to come to Israel, will come to Israel. Uh, the ministry, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as he came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The proclamation went out. Uh, the offer was made. The rejection of the kingdom uh, took place. And right now, that kingdom offer is in obeyance while we're in this dispensation of the grace of God. But when you start separating those two programs and you understand uh, the kingdom program, you understand the, the calling for the church, the body of Christ, all of a sudden those questions that arise in the doctrine of prayer, and we've, we've discussed it last week, John 14, 13, Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. And people latch onto that, and, and when it, what they pray for does not happen, well, then one of two things happen. They either think, oh, my faith, I just don't have enough faith, or God just doesn't have the ability. And neither one of those are accurate. You've got to make sure that you're in the right program with the right authority in order for that scripture again, needs to be looked at uh, who it's written to. See, all Scripture is for us, but not all Scripture is to us as the church, the body of Christ. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. And so nowhere is that more important than in the doctrine of prayer. With all the signs and wonders related to it under the kingdom program, it just makes so much sense when you understand that. Matthew 16, 13. Look at Matthew 16, 13. It goes along with the other one that we just read. 16, 13. 
or 21, I'm sorry. Twenty-three, but he turned and said unto Peter, that, "That's not it either." Oh, oh, Matthew sixteen sixteen, and Simon Peter answered and said, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That was that apostolic authority that they had absolutely. Look at Matthew 18. 18. Matthew 18, 18. And verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Again, talking to the apostles. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Christ came and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has certain signs and wonders and miracles associated with it as a clear and precise indication that Israel Messiah was upon them, that the offer the kingdom was being made, that offer that all the Old Testament prophets spoke of concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself ruling and reigning on earth from Jerusalem. Those promises are going to happen. Those promises are going to be fulfilled at some point. But right now, they are placed in obeyance because of Israel's rejection. And according to prophetic scripture, the next thing on the agenda after Israel's rejection was for the tribulation to start. As a matter of fact, Peter even announced that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost, talking about the beginning of the tribulation. He goes back and he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And Joel, well, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 3 is all about the tribulation. And so here they were beginning that tribulation period. But with Israel's rejection, with that plan that God had hidden in himself from before the foundation of the world, God, instead of his wrath being poured out, what was poured out was his grace upon us Gentiles by faith, we can place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you pray, you need to make sure that you understand which dispensation that you're in. As we look to, look to God for direction and promise to us. And today, today as we look at James, turn with me to the book of James. just to show you what I'm talking about. James chapter 4, verse 3. Now the question is, who was James a minister to? And that's, uh, 
who was he writing to? Maybe that's a better question. Who was James writing to? James 1.1, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. When we read the book of James, and James talks about how you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only, that difference in what the Apostle Paul proclaimed is startling, is staggering should cause the bells and whistles to go off in our mind and understand that what God was dealing with Israel over is totally different from what he's dealing with the church, the body of Christ here today. And so here in James, who was a minister of the circumcision, as a matter of fact, James promised the Apostle Paul, along with Peter and John, James was one of them, that they would make sure that the gospel of the circumcision was proclaimed, while Paul proclaimed the gospel of the uncircumcision. Two different gospels. Now, folks, that's pretty clear from the scriptures. Everybody wants to make it one gospel that they were proclaiming. That's not the case. So here they were proclaiming two different gospels during this duration. James was a minister to the nation of, of Israel. He was proclaiming that kingdom truth. And so in his book, when he's talking to them about prayer, he's making sure they have instructions concerning prayer. Even what James talks about is part of that apostolic elder authority. Look at James chapter 4, verse 3. Or so verse 2. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Who's he talking to? To the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's make sure we make that distinction that the kingdom program was still, they were in a transition, but those believers were still hoping, praying, for the kingdom to be established. They were still looking for the second coming of Christ on earth to establish his kingdom. That's their hope. We're not looking for the second coming of Christ on earth. We're looking for the rapture of the church where he's going to catch his church away, his body away, and then he, God is going to start dealing with Israel again based on all those Old Testament scriptures because God cannot lie. That's what God promised. That's what's going to happen. So here he says, you lust, you, you do all of these things. Verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lusts. See, the, the apostles and, and these elders, they, they had the gift of discernment. Let me tell you, they could tell what was going on with those believers. As we mentioned last week, just ask Ananias and Sapphira. Peter, he understood. But look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Look at verse 14. Here we go. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith 
shall save or heal, shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Folks, that's kingdom authority. James was still functioning under that, what Christ had told the apostles. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. Where two or more will gather together in my name. If you ask anything, he's going to do it. If you agree it's touching anything, he's going to do it. James was still a minister of the circumcision. They were still under that kingdom program. The church, the body of Christ, had already started, but it was, it was transitioning in where the offer to Israel had fizzled out. But these were still believers under that program, and they were still clinging to that pr- program, asking for the Lord to return. That's what Peter is all about. Peter even says he's running to the scattered of, of Israel. And Peter, it, they were saying, where is the coming of the Lord? How come he's not here yet? And Peter has to explain to them, God's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he's not willing that any should perish but that he wants all to come to repentance. The whole program, Peter's explanation to them was, they want to know, where is this coming? Peter's making sure he's going to come. But right now, God is offering salvation based on his grace, not a covenant relationship, but based on his grace. Peter even ends 2 Peter chapter 3 informing those that he's writing to that there were certain things that the Apostle Paul is talking about that it's hard for them to understand. They were scratching their head. They didn't, there, there was something going on that was hard for them to understand. You go back to Luke 24, the Lord Jesus himself, the one we worship, he had actually opened their hearts, their minds, and they understood the Scriptures. Now all of a sudden something's happening that they don't understand. You, you go to Acts 21... When Paul goes to take the offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem, he takes the offering down there, and James, uh, Paul goes to them, and he's telling them all about the good things that God is doing, and they, they, they praise God among the Gentiles. And then James looks, and he looks at all of those Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. He looks at all of them, and he, and he told, tells Paul, he said, look, look at all of these people. Look at all of these who are zealous of the law. Zealous of the law. When Paul had already taught Galatians, the Romans, and I can, and there's scripture after scripture where Paul had told them, you're no longer under the law, you're under grace. So what is going on? And they were even about to perform blood sacrifices there. They were still under the kingdom program. Now, I believe Paul seriously made a mistake. I seriously believe he made a mistake. He should have said, James, uh-uh. You know better than that. You know what's going on here. But instead, because Paul, to the Jew, he wanted to be as Jew to the Gentiles, the Gentiles, his desire was to see all Israel saved. So he acquiesced, he went ahead and and was going to go through that temple sacrifice, that purifying, that which the law called for. He was willingly going to go through that, not only go through it, he was going to pay for it. 
But God intervened before he could do that. God had him arrested. Way to go, God. God did not allow him to go through that. So all of that, Isaiah 65, look, look at Isaiah 65, just to show you what I'm talking about, or hopefully it will, not sure it will, but makes sense to me. Isaiah 65, verse 20, Isaiah 65, 20. See, during the kingdom program, during that thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus, where he is going to sit on his throne from Jerusalem, that the, the 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The tribes of Israel are going to be a priestly nation. They are going to be representing a man to God and God to man. They're going to be that nation of priests during that thousand-year reign. All of that was prophesied. All of that's going to take place. Verse 20, two, two scriptures that are not understandable or explainable if you don't understand that prayer, healing, connection, and that apostolic authority that they're going to have during that time. So God can, the Lord Jesus can say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. They didn't know they weren't getting ready to go into the kingdom program. They thought they were into the tribulation in the next seven years after that. Boom, here comes the kingdom. But verse 20, and there shall no more thence an infant of days. You know what that's saying? That during this, this time when God's going to create and there's going to be... Uh, uh, rejoicing and Jerusalem is going to be and weeping shall be no more and, and that millennial kingdom that's coming there shall no more thence be an infant of days babies aren't going to die in an infant stage you know why? because if they're sick you just go and lay hands on them you pray for them the elders pray for them and they're going to be healed that's what James four, said uh, back to uh, James uh, chapter 5, and the prayer of faith shall save, shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven them. You got a sick baby? You have a sick friend? You have somebody that's, that's dead? Because what God's Word says is going to happen. There shall no more be an infant of days. Babies aren't going to die in their infant stage nor an old man that hath not fulfilled his days. For a child should die at a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed, or seen as accursed, thinking, what did that guy, what did he do wrong? Because there will be death during that millennial kingdom. But the whole point is here, is there's going to be power, there are going to be signs, there are going to be wonders, there are going to be things taking place during that period of time. So in the Gospels, when the Lord is talking about those miraculous things taking place, they were signs to Israel that he is the true Messiah. Those promises are about to come to fruition. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Paul raise up the sick? Yeah, he did. 
Didn't he speak in tongues? All those sign gifts, didn't he do that? Yeah. See, those sign gifts were assigned to Israel that all those promises, he is the Messiah. He's coming. This is all part of that plan and program. Then all of a sudden, there is this dramatic, dramatic change. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul had come along and said, excuse me, but I want to I want to tell you guys how it's going to be from here on out. Oh, yeah? Oh, you, you think so? We don't think so. Well, wait a minute. The tongues, the sign gifts, all of those things that were taking place early on in Paul's ministry was also a demonstration to Israel that there had been, that there was a change. They couldn't argue against it. But all of those sign gifts, we are told clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, are going to come to an end. The tongues, the, the uh, gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, all of those sign gifts, because Israel, they, the early church didn't have the Bible, but boy, they had those gifts in order to get the message out. But then once that which is perfect is come, the perfect word of God, once that's come, then that which is in part is going to be done away with. That's the tongues and the wisdom and the knowledge. Now we study to show ourselves approved unto God. That's, that was all part of that, those promises. Under that kingdom program, under those things said by the Lord Jesus concerning prayer and their authority. The apostles even are going to have the authority to forgive sin. Whosoever sins you forgive, they're going to be forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they're going to be retained. We don't have that today. Not at all. If you sin, don't come to me. Well, I mean, if you sin against me, if you do something to me, I'll forgive you but I can't forgive you before God. They're going to have that authority. It's important that we see that distinction. And the reason I'm even bringing this up and and bringing this out is because I want you to understand how important your prayer life is. And so many of you have said, you know, I pray and I pray and I pray over this. And didn't the Lord say that whatsoever I ask in His name, He's going to do it. My faith just must be so tiny, even smaller than a grain of mustard seed. Pastor, that's little. Either that or God just can't do what everybody thinks He can do. But if you put it in its right dispensational framework, if you understand which program you're under and working under, it just makes so much sense. And today, we do not have that apostolic authority. Now, don't get me wrong. We pray. We believe in prayer. If you're sick, call. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to pray earnestly. We're not saying that God does not heal. We believe in divine healing. We're just saying that we don't believe in the gift of healing. There is not a man anywhere they can go and lay hands on somebody and, and raise them up. No, the gift of healing we do not have. Divine healing, oh, spend time on our faces before God praying for our brethren. Pray. There is absolutely no limit on what God calls us to pray about and to pray over. He wants us to pray on all of those things. It's not a lack of faith. It's not about a lack of faith. It's a lack of authority in this present dispensation. 
So you pray without ceasing, trusting God. See, our marching orders today, when we pray Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Known unto God? God knows what our prayer requests are. Matthew 6 says that he knows what you need before you even ask. So you're not praying to inform God of what your need is. You're praying and demonstrating your faith in his ability. That's, what the, that's why you pray. Lord, I'm coming before you because I understand I am weak. I understand that I, I, I just, I'm, I'm bringing all of this before you. I'm praying that you just take control. You take, take it over. And what, Matt, what Philippians 4 tells us, that the peace that passes all understanding, all understanding, is what he'll give. See, that's verse 7. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. When we pray... Pray for those who are traveling. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for our family. We, we pray for the biscuits we're getting ready to eat. We pray for whatever it is. Whatever, whatever. We, we pray over that believing God has the power and the might for his will to be done. The only obligation that God has in our prayers is to provide that peace that passes understanding. That's the thing. You can say, Lord, these trials are so heavy. They're so difficult. You promise peace. He'll give you peace. Lord, this hurt, the loss of this loved one is so severe. I can't, I, I can't hardly take it. God, I need your peace. Then he provides that. The temptations are so troubling. Father, I just seem to trip and I seem to fall and I, I just can't seem to handle these. I need your strength, your power. Give me that peace as we deal with that. That's the authority that we have to pray without ceasing, to pray with thanksgiving, believing that God's will is going to be done, that we serve him. And he desires to direct our lives in every facet. So praying is for your benefit, your benefit. Prayer is an act of faith, regardless of the outcome. You can use Paul's prayers as an example. Use Paul's prayers as an example. You know what I think is interesting about Paul's prayers? They're always centered on spiritual growth, Christian maturity. As you go through all of Paul's prayers, it, it always had to do for the, the body of Christ to grow, to mature, to gain wisdom from God's Word. To show you that it was coming to a close, do you know that Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had a thorn in the flesh. Something was going on. I personally believe it was his eyesight. And Paul, if that's the case, what caused his eyesight to be bad? That blinding flash on the road to Damascus. See, I wonder, he's, God, you did this. I can't see. I had perfect vision. 
So you wonder. You wonder. What was going on? Paul wanted to be healed. Three times it says he prayed for that to be removed. Lord, remove this thorn in the flesh. God sent a messenger of a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him over that. And what was God's answer? Now keep this in mind. Could Paul have said, Lord, you told the apostles where if if whatever they ask the Father in your name, you would do it. I'm asking, Lord, make me see better. When he when he signed his name, he had to do it with a big scroll because he he had poor eyesight. And I think it was after the road to Damascus episode. He could have claimed that. Lord, heal me. I'm asking in Jesus' name. Lord, you're going to use me mightily. Lord, you're going to use the apostle to the Gentiles. Lord, I've got so much to suffer on your behalf. I am just now getting started. Lord, I need you to heal me. It would help if I could see a whole lot better. You know what God's word to him was? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Did God heal him? Well, he'd said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll do it. Trophimus. Trophimus was, and I think all of these are indications that that kingdom program was coming to a conclusion because of Israel's rejection. It just wasn't shut off, boom, all of a sudden. There was a, a time period as it dwindled down. But here we, we have Paul who looked to Trophimus, who helped care for Paul. He was going with him on different missionary journeys. And what does it say about Trophimus? In 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul says that he left Trophimus in Miletus sick. Can I take you back to James? Can I take you back to the scripture whatsoever you ask? Why didn't he say, Troy, come here. I want, and lay hands on him and heal him. I need you, buddy. I want to heal you. That didn't happen because there was a change. That apostolic authority was coming to a close. Well, time spent in prison. Peter was in prison. They arrested him. They just chopped James, the other James, head off. And Peter was in prison with James. James just got beheaded. Peter's in prison. And the kingdom church is back in a room praying for his release, praying for his release. Whatsoever he asks in my name, that will our Father do. Boom, he's released. And he goes and he knocks on the door and the little girl comes to the door and it scares her to death and she runs and tells the people back, it's Peter's ghost, it's Peter's ghost, it's his spirit. And they go, Pfft. I mean, they must not have had a lot of faith. Talk about the faith of a grain of mustard seed. They were back there praying for his release. The little girl comes and says, uh, Peter's at the door. They don't be, they, 
don't be ridiculous. That's kind of a paraphrase. But they said, no, you're mistaken. And they finally, she, yes, they, he's at the door. They go, and sure enough, there's Peter. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. They prayed for Peter's release. The apostles in Acts chapter 5 are, are arrested. And they're hauled off and put in jail and treated terribly. The people are praying. The Lord comes and says, you're out of here. Go, stand, preach. And that's exactly what they did. Paul, on the other hand, was arrested in Acts 21. In Acts 28, that's three, almost four years later, he's still in prison. See, there's a difference. You tell me the people weren't praying for him? They were praying. But when you look at Paul's prayers... He prays for unity, Romans 15, 5 through 6. He prays for the unity of those believers. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. See, that's Paul's prayer, that the body get along with one another. Paul's prayer was that there in Romans, that they would be faithful to the calling of prayer on their lives. Because prayer does change things. It doesn't change the mind of God, but it changes the one who's praying. I, I firmly believe that. And that's what God calls us to do, is to pray. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, we have Paul praying not for healing not for miraculous gifts, but praying for an open door to preach the gospel of the grace of God. That's what mattered to him. And folks, let me encourage you, that's what we should be praying for also. Lord, give us boldness that we might speak as we ought to speak. That's what he prays. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Or chapter 4, I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 4. Starting with verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Ephesians 6. Look at Ephesians 6. See, same thing. Same thing is what he's wanting this church in Ephesus to pray over. Ephesians 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Folks, here's what, when I say folks, church, body of Christ, Here is what we need to be mindful of. Do you understand? Do you know that we have already been blessed with all spiritual blessings? You've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You've 
been justified. You've been declared righteous. Ooh. I'll take that over anything this world could offer. You can keep your fame. You can keep your riches. You, you can keep your healing. You can keep anything this world offers. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. We have been sanctified. We have been justified. We have been glorified. We have been redeemed. We, you, are complete in Christ. Nothing lacking. Who needs anything else so that you can stand and declare, Lord, your will be done in my life. You take control. I am your servant. Father, just give me boldness to make known the truth of your word, the way that it needs to be made. You've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Talk about name it and claim it. That's what we need to be naming and claiming, that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're already seated in the heavenlies. That's our position in Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. That's where our citizenship is. Nothing can ever change that. That's your citizenship. You're in Christ. You're seated. Where's Christ right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are you, His body, seated at the right hand of the Father? You talk about security of the believer. You talk about belonging to Him and sealed into the day of redemption. God's Word is at stake. That is your position. Philippians 4.19 says He's going to supply all of your need according to His riches and glory. And folks, He has. He has. Real quick, I want to bring this series to a close. Two points that I want to make in closing. There is no set way to pray. We do know that the Lord Jesus in the garden, he on his knees, he lifted up his eyes to the Father. That's do that. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in a similar fashion, Matthew 26. But there is no way that God prescribes that you have to pray. Just talk with God. That's what prayer is. Commune with him. Take your issues to him. There's no set way to talk to him. Is there a set way to talk to your wife? Is there a set way to talk? Well, some of your wives just looked at your husbands. Maybe I'm not going to go there. What about your children? Is there a set way to talk to your children or your friends? Boy, you just commune with them. You just talked. I can't imagine out at the picnic yesterday as we were sitting around and talking. If I'd have been talking to Wayne and uh, dear Wayne, uh, how I'll be. And I, it's just, hey, Wayne, I like your, new, I like your truck. That's the 79, that's, that's not as nice as a Ford, but that Chevy's a pretty nice truck. See, there's no set way to talk. Just be informal when you talk to God, but respectful. 
respectful, understanding that He is your Heavenly Father, that He is Lord of all creation. There are no set mount of these and thous. There's no structure that's going to get God's attention faster than anything else. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that the, that uh, that sinner just said, "Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner." That got God's attention. The Lord Jesus even talked about it. See, that's what God wants us to do. Husbands, dads, you need to feel an urgent sense of responsibility to not only pray for your family, to pray with your family. Will you answer me this? Why are we embarrassed to pray with our family? Have you ever noticed that? That people are embarrassed? Why is it so difficult to pray with our children and our wives? Why is it so difficult to study God's Word? I don't think there's anything more neglected in the Christian family And praying with your wives, praying with our children. Why are the things of God so difficult to discuss? Why are prayer and Bible study and scriptural things so difficult to discuss with our family? I know dads that have a really tough time praying with their, their young boys or with their wives, but boy, you take them to a football game. And, and Auburn did beat Cal last night, so that thought I'd throw that in. They get excited. They get joyous. They're high-fiving, and they're jumping around, and they're hugging, and they're so excited about those type of things. But when it comes to the really serious things, and that's point two, we need to realize that there's, first of all, there's no set way to pray. We need to understand the seriousness of praying. It's time, folks, that the church spends time on its knees crying out to God. Number one, it shows your family that you trust God, that you believe in Him. It's impressive to your children, dads. We pray, we take it seriously because we're living in perilous times. All this happening around the world right now shows the church, the body of Christ, that we're living in the last days. There are so many things that are happening on this planet right now that point to the Antichrist, that man of sin, the one world government, the one world church, one world monetary system, the mark of the beast. There's right now, all of the stuff that the scripture talks about is going to come. It's possible for it to happen. And we say, Lord Jesus, have your way and will. But we need to buckle up. We need to buckle up. And one of the buckles is the buckle of prayer. Another reason we need to take praying seriously 
It's because that's the only way that you, walk, you can walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Prayer and Bible study. You say, well, I really don't care about walking in the Spirit. Then we need to talk about your salvation. We need to talk about your relationship with the Lord. Your heart's desire should be to walk in the Spirit. And the only way you can walk in the Spirit is to commune with God and to keep your nose in the book. Fifth reason is because it is a demonstration of faith. Again, it's God knows your needs. There's no such thing, no such thing, and I've heard this all my life. I've heard people say this so many times. There's no such thing as your prayers not getting past the ceiling. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? I've heard a lot of people say, my, my prayers, I just don't feel like my prayers get past the ceiling, Pastor. They do. That's impossible. First of all, Romans 8 tells us we don't know how to pray anyway. So when you pray and you're pouring your heart out to God or you feel just empty, you're feeling that something is lacking, you know there's something that's wrong and you're praying out to God and you don't feel like it's getting past the ceiling, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you with groanings which cannot be uttered and it's blasting right through that roof and it's taking those requests and those needs before the throne of God. That I guarantee you. That's what God's Word says. So if you feel like your prayers don't make it past the, feeling, uh, the ceiling, that's not true. They do. So why, why aren't we taking prayer more seriously? I thought about that this week. And this might get me into trouble. But I've been in trouble before. Why don't we take praying more seriously? It's not that we don't believe in God. It's not that we don't believe God can, because I think we do believe God can. I, I think we believe that God is faithful. We do believe in God. I don't think we believe in hell. That's the reason we don't pray, dads. That's the reason we don't spend time on our faces before God for our children, for our neighbors. I don't, do we really believe in hell? I'm not sure we do. Because if we did, we would feel more of an urgency for those around us who don't know. Am I wrong? I hope I'm wrong. I'm not sure we believe there is a payday someday. Robert G. Lee talked about there is a payday someday. I'm not sure we believe that. I mean, we do believe that. And we do believe there's a hell. So you understand what I'm saying there, right? 
there is a hell. God's word is true. God's word is clear. But we are to pray without ceasing. Trusting him. Believing that he is in control. Praying, Lord, have thine own way. That's what we pray.